0: Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This message this morning is for all the heartbroken Leaf fans in the crowd. (laughs) I don't know what this is all about, but I'm just trusting that God is shaping some perseverance through these horrible trials. (laughs) If I seem a little dour this morning, that that might be why. (laughs) For some reason, I cheer for the worst hockey team known to humankind. Uh, second, worst second worst, yeah. Who was the worst? Oh, Montreal. Montreal, yes. Yeah. Well, at least Montreal had some fun last year. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm going to be sharing with you a little bit this morning about uh, discipleship. That's a little bit of a, a buzzword. We all like to talk about discipleship. We all, you know, we, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to walk more fully in line with the Holy Spirit. We want to be the people that God created us to be. And, and as we all know, we often, we struggle. You know, we we make decisions that in hindsight, like, shoot, I shouldn't have done that. We respond in situations, you know, we we don't, we're not hearing the voice of God or whatever. We know we're not who we ought to be. We're all very well aware of that. And, and so we want to grow in the likeness of Jesus. And so we toss around this word discipleship. And I'm going to share with you uh, what I see as Jesus' pathway of discipleship this morning. Throughout the Gospels, he seems to have this relationship of invitation and challenge with the people that he leads, with his disciples and with the crowds around him. This idea of invitation and challenge is a little bit of a, a dance, this pathway of discipleship. When I was an a 18-year-old and I was a student at Briarcrest Bible College, in, uh, in Saskatchewan, and I met a fellow named Bill Atrace. Bill Atrace was our residence director. I lived in dorm there. He was kind of like a pastor to the students. And uh, Bill, if, if, you're, if you're gonna pick somebody who you think would connect well with, with young, young men, you would probably not pick Bill. He uh, was an old hayseed. He uh, was, a, was a farmer just a couple of, couple of um, sections away from, from the school and just a salt of the earth kind of guy. Down to earth, and when he would talk to us, he often seemed kind of fidgety and, and nervous, and he's not the guy that would fit maybe the stereotype of whom you thought would connect well with students, and yet Bill had this way about him. He connected well because he loved us and because he was present. Bill, there was nothing flashy or, or noticeable about Bill, but he was just there, He came to our sports games. He sat, had meals with us in the cafeteria. He uh, would wander through the dorms, and you could count on every time that Bill saw you, he would ask the question, so what's the Lord been teaching you today? And he he wasn't afraid to make you squirm a little bit, but you always knew that Bill was going to be there and that he was going to have an encouraging word. So Bill played. We had an intramural hockey team, and, and so Bill played with us. He was you know, 60, 60, 65 years old, and, but he, I think he was a pretty good player back in the day. So he played with us. And there was this one game. Uh, let's just say I wasn't exactly uh, exemplifying the heart of Jesus in my play, that game. <laughs> I could get a little bit chippy sometimes, and, and that game, I don't know what, but I was a little, little hot under the collar, and there was a bit of, bit of slashing and a bit of mouthing off to some of the other, other guys. And, and uh, yeah, the game was not going well. I was not honoring Jesus in the way that I played. And I got a penalty. I think it was because I gave a guy a good hack behind the net. I got a penalty. And so I go to the penalty box, I sit down, and here comes Bill skating over, and he gets in the penalty box with me. <laughs> and the ref skates over. He's like, Bill, what are you doing? I didn't give you a penalty. And Bill's like, no, I just need to take a moment to just to chat with this young man. I'm like, oh my goodness, like my ears are burning red. Like our friends are in the stands watching. And like, it's all my peers, right? Like we're, we're in dorms, we're in classes together and they see what's what's happening here. It's like, good heavens. So I'm sitting there serving my penalty and Bill just sits beside me in silence for a couple minutes. Well, I guess maybe, yeah, my, my penalty was two minutes long. So <laughs> anyway, for a few seconds, he's sitting there, doesn't say much. And then just gently, he says, you know, Ryan, the way you're playing tonight doesn't... Uh, doesn't exemplify the, the man of God that I know you to be. And that's all that he said. That's it. The way you're playing tonight doesn't exemplify who I know you to be. Something along those lines. And so, you know, the penalty ended. I got out, Bill got out along with me, and we played the rest of the game, and I just put my head down, and I, I tried to more or less hide, escape any more notice. I I, uh, I. I toned things down. I behaved, so to speak, for the rest of the game. Still rather embarrassed because I knew everybody saw it and had probably had their assumptions about what, what was happening. And, and so after the game, we went and we sat down in the dressing room. Bill, Bill he, he'd been across the dressing room from me, but he slid over on the bench beside me. Again, sat there in silence for a moment. And then he looked over at me with tears in his eyes. And he just said, Ryan, I'm so thankful for the way that you played out the rest of the game. And I just have a lot of admiration um, for your walk with Jesus and just want to encourage you. Again, that was it. Sat with me in silence, just a word of blessing, a word of encouragement. Scooted back over to the other side of the dressing room, undressed, and that was it. And so I share this story with you because this fellow Bill Trace, this ordinary, nothing flashy or special about him, this man of God who had a profound influence on my life because I believe he discipled me in the way of Jesus. And he demonstrated what we actually see in the story of the Gospels, this posture or this rhythm of invitation and challenge. Bill offered invitation to us as students by walking with us through the everyday, by sitting with us and hearing our stories, by going to our games just to be present, to know that he cared, by initiating conversation, by being there every step of the way. We knew that Bill loved us. We knew that Bill was there for us. We knew he was committed to us. But then in these moments, and there were other moments, but in this particular moment, we came and sat with me in the penalty box and he offered a word of challenge. He had the courage to say, hold on, something's not right here. I'm not sure you're walking in the way of Jesus. Hold on, I think I see this area where you need to grow, where you need to step up, where God wants to do something in you. And so he offered this word of challenge. But again, he didn't leave it at challenge. He didn't didn't give me the cold shoulder for two weeks. And I was a student leader at the time. Like he could have been like, Ryan, like we gotta, like, really, I was, it was entirely inappropriate the way I was behaving on the ice that night. He could have given me the whole cold shoulder, he could have backed away and been like, I'm not sure about you as a student leader, Ryan, or whatever, right? Like there could have been distance there. He could have stayed in that place of challenge for for a while. But immediately after, he moved back into invitation and communicated again by sitting there with tears in his eyes, and that's just the kind of guy he was because he cares that much. He communicated invitation again, inviting me back into that relationship, communicating that love, that value. I'm with you. I'm covenanted to this relationship. I'm going to walk with you on this journey with Jesus. And so you see this kind of swinging back and forth, invitation and challenge, invitation and challenge. I really think that this is the, the pathway or the rhythm of discipleship that we see with Jesus and those around him throughout the Gospels. There's a lot of ways we could define discipleship. One of the easiest, perhaps, to our, the most clear verses would be 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And it says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we, with unveiled faces, I'm not going to dig into all the the nuances of this this verse, but the sense as we focus on the glory of God, as we spend time with him, as we get to know him, we are being ever transformed into his image. As we fix our attention on Jesus, as we walk with him, there's this process, and I would call it discipleship, of becoming more like him, becoming more of whom God has created us to be. A couple of quotes here to share with you about discipleship. So we have one from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It's not, um, this is not God's heart for us. I would say, I'm saved. I place my faith in Jesus. I've received forgiveness for sins. I'm gonna live forever, have eternal life. I'm good. That's not the way of Jesus. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. He invites us into this journey of growing in our faith. And we'll jump to the next one here by Billy Graham. Billy Graham once said, Salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything that we have. I can't say I want to walk with you, Jesus, but I'm going to keep my life over here. I'm still going to act like a jerk on the, on the ice rink. And uh, Jesus is saying, No, I've given you the salvation but now I need you to hand all of this over to me. Your impulses, your possessions, your values, everything that you would hold dear, I want you to give it to me so that we can walk in this together and I can transform you. And then a third one from Dallas Willard, I believe. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I kind of like that. If Jesus would be, Let's see, if Jesus was Doug in Simcoe in 2022, it's, a, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's just Doug becoming who Jesus would be if Jesus lived in Simcoe, in Doug's skin. Becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. This morning, as I share with you, I'm going to be sharing a number of my ideas that are coming from a fellow named Mike Breen. He wrote a book called Building a Discipling Culture, And I found it to be fairly uh, impactful for me in terms of understanding this journey of discipleship. So I just wanted to take a moment and give credit to him. You'll see a number of quotes, some of these ideas as he's kind of clarified for me uh, how we see this way of discipleship work out in the scriptures. So when I think of receiving invitation, what does receiving invitation look like? I want you to think about a moment in which someone has spoken a word of life or blessing over you. Maybe it was when you were a young kid. Maybe it was last week. When's a moment that someone spoke a word of blessing, of honor, of value, of truth over you? My mind goes to a seminary prof when I was reading. It was my favorite prof when I was receiving my diploma. He just looked me in the eye with a real sense of earnestness, and he said, This is well-deserved. And as it is for any occupation, there's moments as a pastor where it's super confusing, Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea. And then just those words, that affirmation, just kind of God spoke that and just said, all right, this is what I've called you to when that prof said, "Um, this is well-deserved. I remember my dad as a kid, you know, one time I was carrying this. It's funny how these memories, like it's super random, but for for whatever reason, we remember these instances, but it's because they leave a profound impact. I remember pushing a a little kid's wheelbarrow full of potatoes, and I was eight, and my grandma was there, and my dad just said, oh, look at, look at the big muscles on Ryan. And I wasn't a particularly strong kid, but for whatever reason, my dad saw fit to, to brag over me to my grandmother. And that memory just sticks out in my mind, those words of blessing, that invitation, I see you, I value you. This is who God's created you to be inviting. Um, I was being invited into that relationship, that love, that commitment, that value. Think of another instance in which I was taking a risk and I was confessing sin, some challenging sin, some embarrassing sin, to a friend, and instead that friend pushing me away, that friend looked me in the eye as I had tears, and he said, I love you, I'm with you. We're gonna walk through this. These are the experiences of invitation. Now in the scriptures, we see Jesus live out invitation with the disciples. He says to them, he says to Peter, he says, come and follow me. Simple words. Peter was a random fisherman. Jesus crosses paths with him and Jesus invites him. He says, come and follow me. I see something about you. I want to pour into you. And Peter would have known this was a rabbi. This is how rabbis operated. They would gather a circle of younger people, of disciples to follow them around, to invest in them. And so this is this invitation that Peter first received when Jesus said, come and follow me. I want to invest in you. Clearly, I see something in you. I love you. I'm committed to you. Come and follow me. Those words of invitation would continue in the years ahead. There's this conversation in Matthew 16, and you're welcome to turn to Matthew 16. I'll have a few of the verses up on the screen, but Matthew 16 is gonna be the, kind of the core of the text that I'm working with this morning. Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 to 18, and they're having this conversation. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? And the disciples have a number of different answers, none of which are quite true. And then Peter breaks through, and Peter responds to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it's this profound moment, because it's the first time that any of his disciples have acknowledged that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, not just a teacher, not just a prophet, but the prophet, the rescuer, the deliverer whom God had sent to set his people free. It's pretty huge that Peter had come to this realization. And Jesus says, it was actually the Holy Spirit that gave you to this. But in that moment, Jesus speaks profound words of invitation, of blessing, of honor over Peter. And Jesus says, verse 18, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you can imagine when Peter received these words, he would have been on cloud nine. Like, Can you imagine Jesus just being like, you are blessed. I'm gonna build my church. I'm gonna build my people on you. The rock, Peter meant rock, so there was a play on words there. But these words from Jesus, Jesus is looking Peter in the eye saying, I've chosen you. I love you. I value you. This is how I see gifting in you. This is the way I'm gonna use you to extend my kingdom, to continue my mission to rescue the people as you have said that I will. Jesus is saying, join me. These are words of explicit invitation. So I want to invite you to consider how have you received words of invitation from Jesus? How has God spoken or extended that value to you? Maybe it's through your time with God and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Maybe it's through a pastor, maybe it's through a parent, maybe it's through someone that you really looked up to, how have you received those words of invitation? Because Jesus has spoken these words through scripture, through prayer, through other people, these words of saying, I love you, I'm committed to you, I'm with you, I'm gonna walk with you every step of the way, you are my daughter, you are my son, because Jesus has these words for every single one of us tailored to us as individuals, according to your life journey, according to your gifting, according to who he's made you to be. He's inviting you into that covenant relationship. Oftentimes we struggle to receive that. We say, well, no, I'm just so-and-so, or yeah, but I did this or that. But Jesus is saying, no, like I love you. I'm committed to you. Come and join with me in this journey. How have you received invitation? Now, what's fascinating in this text is that Jesus proceeds to offer words of challenge to Peter immediately after. And it's actually jarring. I don't know if this happened, like, you know, was this on the same same day, the same hour, they're walking along the road and they flip from words of invitation to challenge. Did this happen several days later? And it's just how when Matthew composed the story... And edited the story and brought it together in the text that he put them side by side? I don't know, but whatever the case, when we read the text, it's jarring in terms of how quickly we flip from invitation and challenge. So Jesus, he's walking along, he's explaining to the disciples, he is saying that he'll suffer, that he'll die in Jerusalem, and that he'll be raised to life. Just kind of filling in the disciples on what this plan is going forward. Now, Peter's kind of a brash kind of guy. He, he kind of he, he speaks before he thinks. I've had that problem at points over the years. And so Peter responds. He misses the whole resurrection part, just seems to skip, scoot right over that. He's hung up on this idea of Jesus suffering and dying in Jerusalem. And he responds, verse 22 of Matthew 16. He says, never, Lord. This will never happen to you. And Jesus responds in quite a shocking way. Now remember, just, so this is verse, this is verse uh, 22. 22 and 23, it was just in verse 17 where Jesus is like, blessed are you, I'm going to build your kingdom on you, like you're my guy, Peter. Peter says, no, this isn't going to happen to you. Just a few verses later. And Jesus says, Jesus says in verse 23, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, was Jesus speaking to Peter in this and saying, you know, Peter, like you're kind of taking on the role of, of Satan of the deceiver here? Or is he speaking to the deceiver who is speaking through Peter? I'm not sure. All I know, that moment had to be devastating to Peter. Can you imagine like Jesus looking at you and saying, get behind me, Satan, because of what you just, you thought you were kind of doing the right thing here. You thought you were sticking up for Jesus. Get behind me, Satan, is what Jesus said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. These are words of challenge. These are words of Jesus who said, I invite you, I'm committed to you. I've called you to join with me in this journey, in this mission, but Peter, hold on. You are not who you've been created. You're not acting in who you've created, been created to be. You're not walking in step with me. You're not listening to what the Spirit is calling us into, and you need to grow here. Like This is not acceptable. You cannot respond. You cannot lead. You cannot join me in my mission in this way. And so Jesus calls him out very directly. And I would say, like, it feels a little bit harsh. Jesus challenges Peter here. Mike Breen sums up kind of the scenario, and he says, Jesus drew the disciples closer. He loved them, but he also gave them the opportunity to accept the responsibilities of discipleship. He didn't just let them he didn't let them get cozy he said i've got more in store for you we're going to join in this together but you got to grow i want you to lean into the responsibilities i've given you which includes listening to the spirit of god submitting yourself to this way of suffering for my glory so that the kingdom of god can come more fully how have you received words of invitation or of challenge in your life How have you received words of challenge? Maybe it was in a time of prayer. Maybe it's as you're reading scripture. Maybe it's a sermon you heard once or a podcast you listened to. Maybe it's through a friend, a parent. How have, has God expressed words of challenge to you in the course of your life? I think of a, a profound moment. I was about to get married in a few weeks and my mom took me aside and she said, Ryan, she said, I need you to know that there are certain characteristics, certain personality traits, and she named one or two specifically. And she said, if you continue in this way, it's gonna make your marriage challenging. I knew that my mom loved me. I knew that she was with me. I knew that she was speaking this out of love. But she said, and my mom's not a direct kind of person. It was, it was a profound moment. She said, I need you to know that if you don't address these one or two areas of character flaws, it's gonna make your marriage really challenging. And she said it with tears in her eyes. I'll never forget that moment of challenge. My mom wanted to see me grow into who Jesus had created me to be. She wanted to see me step more fully into the mission that God had for me and my wife, Brittany. And so she had the courage, even though it was that, you know, some people it's easy to kind of spit those kind of words out and they're just all over the place challenging people. And then other people, it doesn't come natural to them and it doesn't come natural to my mom. But she had the courage and she spoke these words to me. That was a profound moment of challenge. I can think of another time in which, as uh, yeah, it would have been in my 20s and hearing a preacher speak, and all of a sudden he's naming sin, and I, I'm sitting there and I just start sweating. It's like the Holy Spirit's just needling me. Like, you're not going to get up and walk out of here without addressing this. And so I confessed that sin to a friend and started working through that. But these moments of challenge, because God is not content to let you be who you are in your sin in tune with your flesh, walking apart from the way of Christ, he's not content with that. He's got so much more for you. He wants to see you flourish. He wants to see you thrive. He wants to see you use the fullness of who you are for his glory. And so he's going to challenge you. And so I invite you in your journey to embrace and receive that challenge from Jesus. Now, most of us, we're usually either oriented all toward invitation or oriented all toward challenge. Some of us struggle to receive the invitation of God. We just see, all we see is our flaws. We say, God, if only you knew that I did this and we can't receive, am I loved, am I accepted? And so we're striving, we're working, we're trying, we're trying to do all this stuff so that God will be happy and maybe God would use us to make the world a better place and we can't receive that invitation is that you? Do you struggle to receive the invitation of Jesus to actually believe that He says, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm committed to you, I came to save you, and I want to join with you on this journey? Others of us struggle to receive challenge. We kind of have the sense, yeah, I know God loves me and I'm forgiven, and like, you know, we're going to go to heaven, the new heavens and the new earth someday. But we don't really care about what the commands of Jesus are. Like we're more than happy just to kind of ride it out till we get to heaven kind of thing. We don't want to grow. We don't want to live more fully in terms of who he's created us to be. That sounds kind of hard. I'd rather just kind of be loved and coddled. Maybe that's the camp that you fit into. Oftentimes we kind of lean toward one or the other. Do you lean toward being challenged? Do you lean toward the invitation? And this journey with Jesus as we grow to be who he's created to be is this dance this dance of invitation and challenge, back and forth, back and forth. What's interesting is that Jesus, after he, sorry, I'm skipping back in the slides a little bit, a little, little bit that I, I might have passed over. What's interesting is that Jesus proceeded to express invitation and challenge to Peter again. Like he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Like you think that might be a breaking point? Like, You really lost it there, Peter. Like, I know you love me, but, you know, you can step to the back of the line. Maybe find some other rabbi to follow, or, yeah, I don't know. He could have pushed Peter away, but Jesus didn't. He comes right back in verse 24. He says to the disciples, one of whom was Peter there, and he says, Whoever would be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross. follow me. This is a responsive invitation challenge. So he expressed invitation to Peter early, challenged him, get behind me, Satan. And then this invitation, if you want to be my disciple like this, like I want, I'm still investing in you. I still care about you. God's got a lot for us in store together. God's not done with you. If you want to be my disciple, but then this challenge, you must take up your cross and follow me. And so it's this dance, this back and forth. And that's good news for me God didn't give up on Peter, God's not giving up on me, He's not giving up on you. He's got so much in store for you in terms of growing to be who He has created you to be. Now I want you, just as we're heading toward the conclusion here, I want you to consider the idea. I'm gonna ask you a question, and I'll explain it in a moment. Who's your three? So I just want you to hold on to that question. Who is your three? As Jesus taught, influenced, discipled people, it seems like he had different realms of his ministry, different kind of concentric circles. He starts out, he's got the crowds. We know that Jesus speaks to the crowds. You've got the Sermon on the Mount. You've got the feeding of the 5,000. You've got the crowds that gather around him as he enters into Jerusalem and they cry out, Hosanna. We see a lot of Jesus relating to the crowds. Was that like hundreds of people, thousands of people? I mean, obviously with the feeding of 5,000, it was quite a few thousand. So we got the crowds. Maybe for us in our church world, the crowds are the Sunday morning. It's the preaching a sermon. It's the going to the concert, the event, the crowds. I think we know how to do that. A lot of our church ministry is geared toward the crowds. And then Jesus has the 72. You see reference to the 72. Luke 10, he's got the 72, and he sends them out into mission to share the good news of the kingdom on his behalf we also and that was after he'd invested in them we also i think are fairly good at investing in the 72 we invest in the 72 maybe through workshops maybe through youth group ministry and i'm not trying to be too exact with numbers maybe in our head that's actually like 30 people or maybe who knows but it's you got the crowds you got the 72 a little bit more focused investment how are we going to train you how are we going to raise you up here's a workshop here's a seminar the 72. And then Jesus has the 12, his 12 disciples. These, this is the core of guys who followed him around wherever he went and he poured into them. They got to look into his life at a deeper level. Maybe this, the parallel to this is our, our small group ministry. That's probably the easiest parallel. Small group, Bible study, but these pockets of people we know a little bit more intimately were growing in faith together, the twelve. But then Jesus also had his inner three, Peter, James, and John. And we see in the scriptures that they had special time alone with Jesus. They had different conversations with him than the other disciples did. Jesus gave them that access, and he poured into them specifically. And so the reason why I raise this idea, the crowds, the 72, the 12, and the 3, is I want to invite you to live into this way of discipleship, of expressing invitation and challenge to those around you on this level of the three. Influencing the crowds probably feels overwhelming to all of us. Influencing 72 probably feels a little overwhelming to us. Influencing 12, maybe, but I'm not sure. But I'm willing to bet that God has placed for every single one of you three people in your life whom you have influence in their lives. Three people whom God dearly loves and God wants to invite more fully into who he's created them to be. And so if you've been discipled in this way of invitation and challenge, I want to invite you to consider that as you've been poured in that way, that God wants to use you in this pathway of discipleship to begin investing. I'm sure many of you already are to varying degrees, but maybe more intentionally, more fully, to pour yourself into three people, your, Peter, James, and John, the people that you invite to join with you in life. I know it can be a little bit tricky as a church when you're in a time of transition. You don't know, like, what is your vision going to be? I, I, I don't know. Maybe you do have a good sense of that, but I'm going to guess. It's a little bit up in the air. What is Evergreen Heights going to look like in two or three years? I'm excited to see what that looks like. But you might not really know that right now. So it doesn't matter what your strategic plan, what your vision, what your ministry focus is gonna be in the years ahead. Because no matter the model, I believe that this can fit into it. What would God do if each one of us said, you know what, here are my three people that God has called me to invest in. We wanna be doing this with unbelievers. We wanna be sharing the gospel with unbelievers. But I'm gonna focus a little bit on kind of within the body, those who are already following Jesus, if you poured into three people, three people whom you have influenced the very same way that Jesus did with with Peter, with James, and with John, and you began to express invitation and challenge, invitation and challenge, in the way that Jesus did. Who might these people be? Maybe it's one of your children. Maybe it's a young adult in the church. Maybe it's just another, uh, maybe it's a close friend. I really think that for too long as a church, we've kind of decided, you know what, we're going to do discipleship at the level of the crowds. We'll get the pastor and they'll preach and they do that and I show up. That's discipleship at the level of the crowds. But I think that Jesus wants to release a movement of disciplers, of those who will invest in their three. So who are those three for you? who are those three? What would it look like to to express invitation and challenge over them and over their lives? It's as simple as maybe you see them, uh, you see them, maybe you see them walking down the sidewalk after school. And the next day you, you step out and you just say, hey, like, it's great to see you today. Like, I just love to see the way that you care for your friends. Or it brought me so much joy to see you on Sunday morning in the way that you invested in that little kid. Or I love seeing you on the stage playing with the band. Whatever it is, just seeing how God is at work within them, how God has created them, and just naming it, expressing value and love over them. And then as you grow in relationship, maybe it's inviting them to join your family for a meal. Maybe it's joining with them intentionally in some kind of a ministry within the church, speaking words of life, of invitation over them. And then as you have the opportunity, being that kind of bill figure and being like, you know what, like I just noticed this. Or hey, have you considered that Jesus might call you into this? I don't know what that looks like. It will be very very uh, specific case to case, but this idea of how to live then into challenge. This is something that every one of us, every one of us can do, but start with those intentional words of invitation. Mike Breen also said, we'll just jump to uh, another quote here. Mike Breen said, that by accepting the invitation, let's give it. I'm probably all over in my uh, all over my slides. There we go. Okay, a gifted discipler is someone who invites people into a covenantal relationship with him or her, but challenges that person to live into their true identity in very direct and yet graceful ways. I find that just to be a nice succinct little. A gifted discipler is someone who invites people into a relationship with them, a relationship of commitment, a relationship of love, saying, I'm here for you, I've got your back, but then challenges that person to live into their true identity in very direct and yet graceful ways. And the awesome thing is, like, we totally can do this. I don't know hardly any of you, but I'm willing to bet that God has placed his spirit within you that God has given you a spiritual journey that prepares you for this that God has given you gifting that you can begin investing in people in this way and so in summary i want to invite you to consider this discipleship pathway of jesus in many of our churches we know uh, we know how to produce programs services we know how to feed church consumers run sermons, run kids' day camps, Bible studies, pastoral care, community connection events. But I'm not sure that we actually know how to disciple in the way of Jesus. And so I ask you that question, and I ask that you would bring that question to the Holy Spirit this afternoon, this evening, this week. God, who, is, who are my three? Who have you given me influence in their life that I can play this role in speaking invitation challenge? And then with that, and kind of actually preparing for that, just this reminder as well, as you walk with Jesus... I invite you to consider how is Jesus doing this work of discipleship and, or sorry, of invitation and challenge in your life, embracing, receiving, his affirmation and then his invitation to become more fully who he's created you to be. This is a rhythm; it's a dance, invitation and challenge that we together, as God's people, would grow to be more like Him, more of who we are created to be, and that we would be faithful in mission together. And I really think that you know what strategic plans are great. They're important. Living into these simple ways has a lot more kingdom value. They will set you up well then to live into a shared vision. But at the end of the day, it's us walking in the way of Jesus in the little things and those relationships around us. How are you receiving invitation and challenge? How will you live out invitation and challenge with your three that together we would become more of who God has created us to be? I'll invite you to come on up. Eric, thank you so much. It was a real joy to be with you here this morning. Uh, if you have a moment, uh, please come on over and uh, introduce yourself. I'd love to say hi to get to know your name. And just as we're, we're partnered within the MB Conference of Ontario, um, I'm really passionate about kind of our collection of churches, and every church has their, their own strengths, their own unique characteristics. And as we lean in together, learn from one another, um, just, just by way of what that looks like, I had uh, Brent Easy... Connect with me after we were here. I've known him a little bit the last couple years. And he's like, Hey, like, I'm, I'm engaging with uh, some migrant workers through my, my employment. Like, I want to be the presence of Jesus. Like, do you have any insight or resources? And I was able to be like, You know what? I don't, but there's a few other people in our church family who do. And so I've been able to set him up with. Um, folks from another number of other churches who are engaged in ministry with migrant workers. So that's just an example of like what it means to be in relationship together. And as I get to know you and your stories, I uh, would love to kind of celebrate what God's up to through you to inspire other people. would love to connect you with others who are doing similar things that we can really lean into this as a family of the MBs here in Ontario. So yeah, we'd love to let, if you could introduce yourself and just kind of get to know your story a little bit, that would be a joy. And, and please know that we continue to pray for you on your journey as you look for a pastor. And uh, yeah, let's keep keep cheering on uh, Tamil uh, from what we see. She's doing a marvelous job. May God bless you. I'm just gonna take a moment and we'll pray together yet. God, we give you thanks for who you are. Thank you so much that even as you created the heavens and the earth, you placed the stars in place. You're the one who directs the rising and the setting of the sun every day. And yet you care about me. You care about each person, us, each person in this room intimately, deeply. You invite us to cast, cast our, our cares on you, and you've given each of each one of us, as we reflect who you are, we're made in your image, you've given each one of us a unique personality, a unique set of gifts. And so we hold those up to you, we offer those to you, God, and we just say, would you use us? Would you pour out your goodness in the world through us? And so Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd reveal to us the ways that we can receive your invitation and challenge to us. Thank you that you walk with us. But then, Holy Spirit, I also ask for each one of us that you would speak to us and clarify who are those three people. God, we wanna serve you. We wanna bless people. Who are those three people whom we can speak your love, your goodness, your wise counsel into their lives? We offer ourselves to you. And so bless Evergreen Heights in this time, God. I pray that you would give them courage, confidence, trust, favor in the eyes of people around them. I pray that you'd give them unity and focus. Thank you for the ways that you're forming them in this time. We honor you, Jesus. It's so good that we're not on this journey alone. And so we worship you today. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.